So in Luke, Luke chapter 19, and you can look this up uh, on your own later, but in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells a parable of the ten minas. Basically, um, the uh, ten minas was basically a hundred days wage in biblical times. So, so he tells this parable of the, the ten minas, and he talks about a nobleman. Jesus talks about a nobleman that goes off to a, goes to a far country to be made king. So he talks about this nobleman that goes off to a far country to be made king, but the people did not want them as the, his, their king. But he was made king despite of their rejections, and he called his servants and gave them each a hundred days wages and told them to occupy until he returns. Who do you, who do you think Jesus was talking about here? Someone of nobility comes to a far country to be made king. And the people of that country reject them as their king. But he was made king anyways. But he had servants and he, and he gave the servants a hundred days wages and says, I want you to occupy it until I return. You know, what's interesting about this is right after Jesus gives this parable, he heads to Jerusalem. to be rejected as the king of the Jews and killed. Jesus told us to occupy till he comes. And occupy means to do business and expand. That's what that word occupy means. It means to do business and expand. It is where we get the word occupation from. And it also means to aggressively aggressively expand. So we are to occupy until he comes and be and not be preoccupied with his coming. Right? We look forward to the coming of Jesus, but we are Jesus told us to be occupying, be expanding, do his business and not be totally caught up in when he is coming. When the son of God, a man returns, will he find any faithful and faithful means doing the work of the kingdom. It doesn't mean people sitting around believing that Jesus is going to come back one day. People that actually lived like it was true. Their life was a representation of their faith. Jesus ends this parable with holding his servants responsible for the way that they occupied and then brings destruction on his enemies. That's the way that parable ends. I'm, go, go back and read it. It's really, it's a very, there's so much revelation you can get out of that parable. And after Jesus tells his parables, he, he goes on to Jerusalem to be rejected as the Christ and be put to death, and in so doing, defeated sin, death in the grave, and was crowned King of kings and Lord of lords by God Almighty, despite the rejection of his enemies. And we are his servants, right? Are we his servants? And he gave us a mission. He gave us a mission to occupy and do business of the kingdom and to aggressively expand it until he comes. For the increase of his government, there is no end, right? 
in a, the increase of his government and his peace, there is no end. Amen? Look what 1 Peter tells us. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But set apart Christ as Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give defense to anyone who asks you the reason for your hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The very first thing that we need to point out here in, 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 in this simple verse is Peter tells us that we are to set Jesus apart in our hearts as God. Other translations say, sanctify Christ in your hearts. It means to be holy, set apart in your hearts. What this is talking about is lordship. Peter is telling you that in your hearts, you have to determine if Jesus is Lord. If he has been set apart, sanctified as God Almighty in your hearts. That Jesus is Lord. That you're not Lord. That our government is not Lord. That the world leaders are not Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Because there's a lot of Christians that want Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they do not want Jesus Christ as their Lord. We like the idea of grace and, and God's accomplishment, and, and, and I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. But you're the disobedient son. Right? Jesus said, we have two sons. And I'm paraphrasing here because I wasn't planning on saying this. Had two sons. He asked um, one to go and do work in the field for him. And he says, I will not. But then he went anyways. And then he had another son that he says, go work in the field. And he says, I will. But he never did. Which one is the faithful son? See, Jesus also says, you honor me with your lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says that in that day, you will say, Lord, say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. See, we like the idea because God has put in the hearts of each individual the knowledge of him. That's a, that's a truth. Everyone knows that there's a God and you're not him. That there is a, there is a day of, of reckoning, a day of reckoning your account, your life before God Almighty. You know, we know, everyone knows this. And they can hide behind all of their ideas, evolution, Darwinism, all this, all these things, but they, deep down inside, they know. They know. And, and a lot of times Christians can, can embrace Jesus as their Savior because they know that they need a Savior, but not truly embrace him as Lord. And Paul, Peter here says that we, that's the very first thing you need to do is you need to determine in your hearts if Jesus is Lord of your life. Then he goes on to say, 
that we are always to be ready to stand up for his lordship. We are always to be ready to be ready to explain his lordship, why his lordship is better than any lordship on the face of the planet. But a lot of time, people are defensive of their Christian faith. They're not, we're not so much defensive of Jesus. We're, we're more defensive of people thinking that we're ignorant, that we're misled, that we believe in um, fairy tales and unicorns and pixie dust and stuff like that. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Our faith is totally selfish. And, and, and so we get defensive with our Christian faith, and we're unable to give reasons for our faith. We're unable to give reasons for our faith, and it turns into an argument. And here's the thing about arguments. Arguments are not one. People are one. Arguments are not one. People are one. And usually winning an argument means losing the person. We need to focus on winning the person more than just winning the arguments. Social media. And we do this by having reasons for our hope. Reason. That deals with the mind. It's reasonable to believe that there's a God Almighty. It's reasonable. It's more reasonable to believe that the earth, that the all creation was created by a creator than to believe that it came from nothing. Like I said in a previous message, talk about believing in magic. I have nothing, I have nothing, then abracadabra, poof, I have everything. From nothing. It's reasonable to believe in a creator. It's reasonable. It's reasonable to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ if you study it out, which many men and women have, have went after the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the, with the whole purpose to prove that it's wrong. And guess what happened? They were wrong. And Jesus became Lord. So we do this by reasoning with people through the validity, the logical, factual, and soundness of God's truth. And we have to learn this. Do not get me wrong. As you go into the world systems and as you go in and represent the kingdom of God, you have to learn to do this without saying, because the Bible said so. When people come to church, they expect to hear the Bible. But we have to learn to reason with people. You're still giving them truth. You're still giving them maybe even biblical truth. But you do not, by, by, saying, by saying, well, the Bible says this, immediately they've put up a wall of rejection. You understand what I'm saying? We need to learn to live the kingdom life. And, it, and, the, and the kingdom life isn't always by quoting the Bible, but living the Bible. You understand? 
Why is that in there? Look at what in Acts, Acts chapter 17, verse 2, it says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He went into the synagogue and reasoned with religious leaders from the Scriptures. In Acts 17, 17, therefore he reasoned in the synagogue in the with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Acts 18.4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Acts 18.19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And then in Acts 24, 25, now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, go away from me now. When I have convenient time, I will call for you. Paul reasoned in, everywhere Paul went, he reasoned with people about the kingdom whether he was with the religious people, whether he was in the marketplaces, or before the government officials, kings. He reasons, reasoned God's truth with the hearts of men and women. You know, a little sidebar, and, and I think it's interesting. Do you know who the Apostle Paul was called to? Who was the Apostle Paul called to to serve, to minister to. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. He's talking to Ananias. And he says, But the Lord said to, them, to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel, speaking of Paul, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Everyone. How many of you, I mean, you, got, you might be able to handle the Gentiles, right? You might be able to handle Jews. But how many of you prepared to stand before kings? Well, you should. You're king's kids. Why, why would you ever be worried about standing before royalty? You're representing a kingdom. Reasoning. For, the, for much of the remaining of this, this uh, series, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be reasoning. So come, let us reason with the Lord. Morality. It's hard to believe that we live in a day and age where we have to teach people where morality comes from. We live in a day and age where truly they're calling good evil and evil good. We live in a day when people are celebrating their prideful in their immorality. They even have 
parades called Pride Parades, Pride Day. And it amazes me how children of God, how Christians are confused about what's moral and what's immoral. Now, as we get into this, and I'm going to repeat this probably every single time, is that it's God's heart towards immorality and sin is not evil towards the person that's committing immorality and sin. It's his, his wrath is, is poured out against sin itself, right? Jesus took sin into his body to destroy it. Because if, if, and if, if, if we're not made a new creation in Christ Jesus, sin will destroy you. You understand that? And love protects. And the church is supposed to be the salt, the, the, thing, the thing that gives flavor to life, but also preserves the world. We're, we're supposed to be preserving the world. How do we preserve this, the world? Well, the more moral the body of Christ is in a certain nation, it raises the whole level of the morality in that nation. There, were, there was a time when morality was understood of its origins. And the, the morality of the whole country was different. But the church, under the pressure of cultural revel, relevance, left biblical principles, principles behind and we are seeing the decay in our society. Morality is the, is the principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. The first question we need to ask ourselves is what's the author of morality? What is the author of morality? What's ma what makes something right and what makes something wrong? Is it just human opinion? Or is there a standard of rightness, of goodness, and of justice that is beyond ourselves? Because there is agreement. There is agreement that there is an objective moral, moral values and duties that exist within the heart of a person. Right? We see that just something... That, 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 we, that happens too often in our culture right now. A school shooting or mass shootings. Everyone, atheist, Christian, Democrat, Republican, everyone rises up and says, that is evil, that is wrong, that is cowardly. Who, who says what put it in all those individuals that there was there, there is something that is morally wrong? God, <laughs> I'll give you the answer ahead of time. But there is an agreement 
And, 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 and basic morality, there, there, there is, it is, it is wrong to, to murder the innocent. It is, rape is wrong. You know, we can, the list can go on and on. Who told you? You know, you show up with the Twix, right? The commercial is one for you, one to share, unless you're, or just maybe two for you. But you have a Twix, and you show up, and, and the buddy next to you says, hey, can I have one of those? And you want to eat them both, but you share. You share. The next day, your buddy shows up, and he's got a Twix. And you're thinking, that's wonderful, because yesterday I had a Twix, and that was so good, and I don't have one today. And you turn to your buddy and say, hey, can I have one of those Twix? And he goes, no, get your own. Immediately, something rises up within you and says, that's wrong. That's wrong. What? Who told you that's wrong? Where does that come from? Have you ever said, that's not fair? Who told you? Who told you it's not fair? That's just what we have to understand is where does this moral standard come from? Does it come from science? Does morality come from science? Does our understanding of good and evil come from science? Let me, let me an answer this and then I'll explain. No, morality does not come from science. Science does not give you morality. Morality does not come out of a test tube or an experiment. Morality is something you must bring to science. Science can't, tell you, uh, science can't tell you if you should lie or exaggerate about your scientific study. But a survey done in 2009 found that 33.7% of scientists admit that they have fudged data to get the results they wanted. And that's only the ones that admitted it. Science is only as moral and upright as the scientist. You have to bring morality to the enterprise of science. It does not create morality. Let me show you. Science can help you discover what type of stem cell treatment might help someone. But it can't tell you if it's ethical to use that treatment. If you have to kill a human being in order to get certain stem cells to help another human being, is that ethical? Is that moral? See, science can't tell you that. You have to bring ethic and morality to science. Science can tell you, tell you if there is a genetic human being in the womb. But science can't tell you if you should protect that human being or not. Science will tell you that if you're not a scientist. Uh, science will tell you that an unborn children in a womb is a genetic human being. It's not a mouse. It's not a gerbil. It's not an orangutan. It's a genetic human being, which is a person. We call them babies. 
Science will tell you that. But should that human being be protected or killed? Science can't tell you that. It, that comes from outside of science. Science has to be, it has to be built on philosophy, a philosophy of morality. Because if you do not bring morality to science, you are not going to get good scientific results. Science can tell you how to make a nuclear bomb. But science can't tell you if you ought to use it. So science, so, so you can't base your morality on science. Morality is something outside of science that has to be brought to and applied to science. So maybe morality just comes from this unwritten universal of human values. Does morality come from a universal human values? The answer is no. Because if, because if right and wrong was grounded in humans, which human decides what is moral? Does Mother Teresa decide? Or does Hitler decide? Question, why did the world finally stand up and stand, against, stand up against Hitler? Who told the world that what he was doing was wrong? What standard, what principles? Where, where did that come from? Evolution says it's Survival of the fittest. Who decides? Does Donald Trump decide what is moral? Or does Elizabeth Warren decide what is moral? Is it, is it Americans or is it Australians that decides what's moral? It's not human beings who decide what is good and true and right. It has to be something outside of humanity that is good, true, and right. Morality, good and evil, right and wrong, has to be a standard that is beyond ourselves. I mean, the pinnacle of this humanistic thought that morality comes from human values is found in legislating morality through government. Do we get our rights and morals, moral standards from human government? That's not what our founders of the United States believed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are in Endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Governments are not instituted to give rights. Governments are instituted to protect rights. 
America was not founded on the idea that our rights are derived from universal human values, but that our rights and morals come from outside ourselves, from our creator. That human rights are endowed on us by God, not government. So what is the role of government? What's the role of governments? Governments are instituted to secure these rights. Governments do not give rights. Governments are not able to take away, away rights. Do you understand that? If, if governments cannot give rights, they can't take away rights. Governments are instituted to secure rights. They are to protect those rights and protect innocent people from evil. In Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 3, For the, ruler, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have the pra praise from the same. For he is God's minister to do to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister to avenge and execute wrath on him who practices evil. That is what the role of government is for. The ruler has a sword for a reason. To protect its citizens from evil. This is the rule... rule this is the role of government, to protect its citizens from evil. But where, where do governments get their morality on what is good and what is evil? Right? For there has been and there still are evil governments. Governments do not give you your rights, but protect your rights. You understand this? Just because a government decides to change a law to, to take rights away does not mean you lose those rights because they are not the author of your rights in the first place. You have rights because you are a human being and they are derived from outside of government. When governments take away your rights, they become tyrannical. They become a tyrannical government. That is why our country struggled for independence. The Declaration of Independence goes on to list a number of rights that King George III of England was violating. That's why they chose to fight because the government was tyrannical and was not protecting the rights of the people but taking their rights away. Now understand this. You cannot avoid legislating morality. Because that's what governments do. Governments set up laws of morality based on mor what is moral, morally right and morally wrong. The question is, is whose morality they use? Is it the morality of Karl Marx? Is it the morality of Adolf Hitler? Is it the, the morality of Mao? Is it the morality of the LGBTQ? Whose morality do they use? Do we just make up our own morality? 
Do we define our morality based on our own preferences and whatever the idea of the, what the universal human values happen to be today? Or is there a standard of righteousness, of goodness and just, justice that is beyond ourselves? When people say, don't impose your morality on me, you need to ask them, why not? Would that be immoral? See, they are imposing their morality on you. They are saying that you ought not pose ought nots, but they themselves are imposing an ought not on you that you should not impose ought nots. See, everyone is trying to pose a moral point of view. But as a Christian, we are not trying to pose our moral point of view. This is not our morality. We did not make this stuff up. Do you understand that? When someone says, don't put your morality in me, say, it's, it's not my morality. I didn't make this up. As a matter of fact, there are some things in this morality that I struggled with, that I had a hard time with, that I had to change the way that I thought. I had to change the way that I lived. And tell you the truth, there's some that on some days I still don't like it. This is not our morality. We did not make up that murder was wrong, that rape was wrong, that stealing is wrong, that adultery is wrong, that abortion is wrong, that men were made for women and women were made for men, and that the best way to perpetuate and stabilize a society, the reason why government is involved in marriage in the first place, do you know that? The reason why government protects marriages and is involved in marriage in the first place is because they want a healthy, productive nation. is to recognize that a man-woman relationship is better than every other relationship. Because it's the only one that produces life. We did not make this stuff up. This is not our preference. This is not my morality. This is not your morality. It's the morality. The one that Thomas Jefferson said, was self-evident. And what Paul in Romans said this, Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Indeed, when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and other times even defending them. See, this is not our morality. This, we are not trying to impose our morality, but I am trying to impose the morality. I'm trying to impose the morality in my own life. I'm trying to impose the morality in my home, in my family. I'm trying to impose the morality in my church. I'm trying to impose the morality in my community. If people have a problem with that, they don't have a problem with me. They, their problem is with the creator whose nature this morality is derived from. 
This is the law that Jefferson called the law of nature. And it's the same law that Paul said was written on the hearts of all humanity. It was put there by their creator. C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist, he says, as an atheist, I argued against God. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe to when I called it unjust? Far too often we see in the news, like we talked about earlier, these mass shootings, right? And everybody shows up for these mass shootings to, 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 to um, speak out against them as evil and heinous. Christians speak out. Atheists speak out. No matter Republicans or or Democrats, they come out and condemn these crimes. But understand, we cannot condemn something as being wrong if there is no straight line. You can only say, I don't care for these events. It's not my preference. It's not, these events kind of leave a bad taste in my mouth, but you know, Shirah, shirah, whatever whatever's works for you. You know, I found them distasteful. The ideas of murder is wrong and rape is evil become just opinions. The same thing as saying, I prefer Coke over Pepsi. It's just a preference when there is no straight line. God is the best explanation for this self-evident morality. God's very nature grounds morality so that anything done that goes against his character is wrong or evil. Furthermore, because God made humans in his image, each person possesses eternal value. I've heard people make the argument that I don't need to believe in God to be good. Have you ever heard that? I don't, I, don't need to be, I don't need your Jesus to be good. I'm a good person without Jesus. I do good things. Of course, of course people can still be good and do good things without believing in God. The question is not, do you have to believe in God to do good? Rather, the question is, if God doesn't exist, is anything morally good at all? Do you realize that this proves there's a God? Because if there is no God, there is no objective morality. But there is objective morality. There is a straight line that everybody confirms that somehow it's ingrained in human nature that there is a straight line, so there is objective morality. So seeing that there is objective morality, there has to be a God. Hmm. So when an atheist says, I can do good without believing in God, he's saying that there is a God. 
because he's saying that there is a standard of morality that is outside of himself. So if we, if we, if we, where was I? If we agree that murder and rape is, is evil, if unbiased moral categories exist, then a transcend, transcendent lawgiver is the best explanation for their existence. Which leads to this question. Is something is good, is something good because God wills it? Or does God will something because it's good? See, what they what, what people try to do is, is is put morality outside of God. Because if we say that something is good because God wills it, then God, then good is just God's random choice, whatever his mood is today. You understand something? If, if something is good just because God wills it, what happens if he wills something else another day? It's not a straight line. Morality is not a straight line. And there's religions, the Muslim religion, for instance, that teaches that about their God. That whatever Allah does is right. So Allah can do something one day that's right, and do something, say something else another day, completely opposite, and say that it's wrong. But also if we say that something, that, but also if we say God wills something because it's good, then we are saying that this good standard exists beyond God, outside of God. So what is the answer? Neither. God wills something because he is good. His nature is goodness. We heard Bill Johnson refer to this on Wednesday night, didn't we? You have to start understanding that God is good. That is to say, he is the standard by which we get all moral categories. This is why a Muslim, the Muslim God of Allah, can't be the standard of morality. Allah can't be the one that has written his, this natural law on the heart of humanity. Because their own theologians state that whatever Allah does is good. So there is no moral standard. The moral standard of their God changes from day to day month to month, generation to generation. Nor can it be the God of Hindu because they believe in the caste system and reincarnation and that people are getting what God wills for them either by their own wrongs and rights in past lives. This is why it's culturally wrong to help the poor and needy in India. Do you know that? They do not help the poor and needy in India because they believe that God made them poor and needy because of something they did in a past life. And for you to help that individual would to be to fight against God. Yeah. 
Can I have the worship team come up? You know, I see Christians even share very ignorant posts on social media. And one of them that caught my, my uh, attention was one by Gandhi. And this is what the quote, how the quote goes. The greatness of a nation and its moral progress can be judged by the way its animals are treated. Understand that Gandhi lived in a country that the great majority of the people were starving. And at the same time, were surrounded by cattle. <laughs> and they weren't allowed to eat them. Because they were holy and could be someone's dead relative. Do you see the immorality of that idea of God? And the deception that too many Christians have bought into. The greatness, the greatness is not the way that a nation treats its animals. The greatness of a nation and the, its moral progress is how it treats its citizens of that nation. Because that is the morality of our Heavenly Father. It boggles my mind that we are living in a day and age where we have to preach to Christians the idea of where this straight line has come from, where morality is based on. And that morality, that straight line was given to us, not to restrain, not to bring hardship, but because God loves us and understand this same God is a God that loves you enough to give you a choice this same God is the God that put two trees in the garden he's not going to force his morality on you he is not forcing his morality on you but showing you the way to life. See, that's the reason, again, this ties right back into extreme sovereignty of God. Five-point hard Calvinism, if you're familiar with that teaching at all, where God is sovereign, and He is absolute justice, but He's not always loving. Because in God... In this teaching, they say that God creates people to go to heaven. And then he creates people to go to hell. And they have no standard. So this is not a God that, where everything produces from goodness. Do you understand this? Without 
choice. There is no goodness. Now, I understand that, that, that God can know in advance where you're going. Just like as, as a parent, when they have kids, they know that their, their kids are going to sin one day. And that's why God gave us Jesus Christ. Because we can't keep this moral standard of God independent and detached from the Holy Spirit living within us. And even then, the flesh is pretty strong some days. So out of his great love, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave us Jesus so that we would not perish but have life eternally. Amen? Amen. That's the morality of our God. That is the standard we live by. There is a universal morality for all humanity. What is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong is not based on, is based on a transcendent creator that his holy and completely set, that he, he is holy and completely set apart from all that is created. But he is also Emmanuel. He is also God with us that is intimately involved in your life. <laughs> That's awesome, ain't it? He reinforced, he came to show us the living way. He reinforced this eternal truth that we should treat others with respect, that love is better than hate, honesty is better than deceit, courage is better than cowardice, and, and that every single one of us is worth dying for. He is our moral standard. He is good and he is right. pray. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.